Why, hello there, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm so thankful for another opportunity to study the Bible and have a conversation, and I hope that you're looking forward to listening and participating with us. Now, Jamie Thompson's back on the program. He's been with me several times in the past. I always enjoy our conversations, and I'll be honest, he and I can talk for a long time. In fact, this recording was two and a half hours, and it was a straight recording. I didn't make any edits to it because Jamie is phenomenal at what he does, and he's an excellent guest, so I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. We're going to talk about reclaiming your role and understanding what the Lord's will is in certain relationships, so let's jump right into it, shall we? So you've been on the show a lot. A couple times. Uh, I think three. Three times. I remember two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have been slightly high. Yeah. Not from anything illegal. <laughs> I was just medicated after surgery. I won't say which episode, though. That way people are... Go back and listen. Try and see if you can figure it out. <laughs> but you've, you've introduced yourself on here before, right? So right. people who are familiar with this show know who you are. And if you don't, then go back through Jonathan's back catalog. Yeah. yeah. We will not introduce you in a second time. <laughs> um, but what is the definition of a neighbor according to the Bible? Do you know? Or Jesus, I should say. What's Jesus' definition of a neighbor from the parable of the Good Samaritan? Uh, those who do good. Right. Well, those who are near. Yeah. Right? Okay. Who is my neighbor? The one who is near. Yeah. So that's why that's the only reason I had you on there. <laughs> Fair enough. I wouldn't have me on my podcast either. Not at all. I get a lot of praise from uh, previous episodes that you've been on. And um, so I invited you back. It's probably been a month ago that I sent a text and said, hey, yeah. you want to come back on? You asked if you could bring the study that you preached at the Sulphur meeting mm -hmm. this year. So um, maybe give me some background about your motivation for the study what what kind of when you knew you i don't know if, if it was at sulfur that that was the first time or if you preached at grapevine so give us a, maybe some background and motivation for this study sure well um i had preached it at home at, at grapevine before sulfur and i thought it was um a worthwhile study because so i, I call it reclaim your role because um you know in, in today's world we like being equal we like um, equity. We like um, everyone to be exactly the same. And um, we're not necessarily comfortable with people having different roles, some people being able to do some things that others aren't. And I wanted to see what the Bible says about that, communicate what the Bible says about that. And rather than seeing it as a burden, see it as something that we can be proud of, mm. that God has given us some roles and... Uh, we should be grateful for the roles that we have and do our best for them. With okay. Them. So what I might try to do, um, and I'll just kind of say it on the nose, that way our listeners um, will know ahead of time. I imagine you and I probably see eye to eye on this because I've read your notes before <laughs> we recorded. But I might take on the role of a questioner. Absolutely. You yeah. know, somebody, especially in our culture now, a, a very postmodern um 
egalitarian culture. And, you know, those are big words. Just all you really got to do is turn on the TV these days or, you know, any sort of social media and see the there is a march towards uh, this idea that we are all the same. And there really isn't these tradition, these traditional differences that you and I believe are are valuable. The culture around us is saying they're not valuable. And so maybe I'll take on that role a little bit and you can. Yeah. respond. I think that's a, a really good way of describing it as well, that um, people see traditional values and, and I, haven't we moved on past that? Isn't that old-fashioned? And, well, I'm not necessarily interested in what is old-fashioned and what isn't. I'm interested in what the Bible says. And if mm-hmm. and if the Bible mm-hmm. says something that appears to be old-fashioned, we should listen to what God says. Yeah. So That's a, a keen observation. I don't think either of us is really interested in taking us back to the 1950s because we happen to like the 1950s what we are suggesting is whatever the generation may have been do these values line up with the word of god and if so how can we emulate that instead of just kind of marching with culture yeah now here i am defending you i should be attacking you right (laughs) so i'm taking on that yes um a little more of that (laughs) how about uh Let's start with your your opening scripture, Ephesians five seventeen, um, and then you have we're going to study all the way through chapter six verse nine. But you do read a couple verses at the beginning. Do you mind reading that and then sure. kicking us off? So Ephesians chapter five and verse seventeen says, "Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is." I think that's pretty good, um, pretty good thing to do to understand what the will of the Lord is. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to to talk about um, various things. And he says in um, verse 20, uh, 21, I beg your pardon, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Mm-hmm. So that's part of understanding what the will of the Lord is. Yes. Is if I'm going to understand the will of the Lord, I'm going to submit to others. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe a great question is, what does that mean? How do I submit to somebody else? And what's the scope of this? Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I think if we just look at it at face value, Everyone submits to everyone else, and everyone's loving to everyone else, and that sounds great. But practically, how does that work? Like uh, the the example that comes up in my mind, kind of humorously, is two people walk through a door or go to walk through a door, and one says, "After you, no, no, after you, no, after you." And, and who submits to who? And who? How do you get through the door? Oh, okay. You have to submit to uh, one another in a way that enables things to get done. Right. Right. And uh, I think sometimes. We read that verse and think, that, well, that's that's great, but don't read on. But Paul actually explains how we submit to one another um, in the following verses. Yeah, and so the structure um, th- that you have kind of bulleted out here for our listeners who maybe can't see the notes, which is all of you. Um, wives submit to husbands in 522. Children submit to parents in 6 verse 1. And slaves submit to masters in 6 5. So that's going to be kind of the relationships that we talk about yes. today. Um, but you you put a point here that I think is worth talking about, and, and that is that you, you make an observation that this is discussing church members. So I guess um, I just want to know, as you and I have this conversation as believers, uh, should we be expecting others who don't share our faith to have these roles and yeah, what, what what sort of expectations should I have about those around me who aren't Christians? Well, I think to kind of skip ahead, this is what 
the pattern that God has put for these these specific roles that wives submit to husbands, children submit to parents, and bond servants submit to their masters. Mm-hmm. And so that's what God wants from us. But we shouldn't be surprised when people who aren't believers don't do that. Mm. So that's kind of like the gold standard. That's what we should aspire to, uh, all of us, whether we're believers or unbelievers. But if uh, people aren't, unbelievers aren't following God anyway, we shouldn't be surprised when they're not following that particular pattern. Mm. And that so, makes a big difference. If I'm not surprised that they're not going to follow the pattern, uh, maybe I won't have as strong of a reaction as if I was just expecting everybody to somehow follow these roles naturally. Right. And I think um, it's also important to remember because if you're in a relationship, whether it be husband, wife, children, parents, or um, bond servant master, where the other person is not a believer, then you need to make sure that you are doing what's commanded, even if the other isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. I think that's a fantastic point. Um, I get this is Jonathan who's agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to, I may have uh, bit off more than I can chew as far as taking on that role. But uh, so helpful as I try to help couples um, in the church, especially, is learning to observe and serve in the role that you've been given, whether or not your partner is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because if we really, it's like a quid pro quo type of uh, view that a lot of people take in their relationships. I will do it for you if and only if you do this for me. Yeah. And we're not called to that. And to put the the example of the door the other way, if we're each fighting to get through the door, then no one's going to get through the door mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you observe in the, the three relationships. So there's six uh, persons in the three relationships, right? Yep. So two persons per relationship. Uh, th- there's not really room for any tyranny. There's not any room for people to abuse the roles because, according to 5 verse 21, we're all under authority. And so yes. take us through that real quick of just kind of how these roles kind of all fall under God. Well, we sh- yeah, we should all we should all submit to one another in the fear of God. So none, none of us are top of the food chain, as it were. Mm-hmm. And if someone submits to you, well, you still have to submit to God. Um, but in, um, in verse, chapter 5 and verse 22, it says that um, uh, wives, whatever they do, they have to do it as to the Lord. Right. Husbands, in chapter 5, verse 30, have to do whatever they do as members of his body, mm-hmm. his Jesus body. Mm-hmm. Children, what they do is in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Fathers... Um, are to teach uh, the the principles of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Bond servants are to serve as to Christ, and masters are to acknowledge that they have their own master. Mm-hmm. So it all goes back to Jesus, whether you're in a position of authority or a position of of, um, of submission, then you are always to serve Jesus yeah. and un- be under his authority. I like that you have that here at the very beginning. Um, I have a feeling that people who listen to this, there may be some that just think, oh boy, here we go again. These two guys sitting around telling everybody how it is. Yeah. But you've laid a foundation to say really all of these relationships are Christ-centered. Yes. And so if we are to be successful in them, then we're doing them to the Lord and not just for our own selfish gain. That's right. 
And I, I think that's why it's important to go through the text rather than just what Jamie or what Jonathan says. It's important to see what the Apostle Paul says by inspiration. Mm-hmm. This is the will of Jesus. We're all here to serve him and to do our best for the Lord. Would it be helpful if I read a scripture and then you kind of teach us about it? How do you want to approach some of these uh, chunks of scripture as we go through it? How about you read, like you say, and I'll um, explain my point from it, and then you can come up with any objections that you'd like to. <laughs> okay. You'd like to. Sure. Test me with. All right. So this is Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So the point is that when wives submit to their husbands in their God-given role, they model the behavior of the church to Christ. So it's not just a, um, it's not just that uh, Paul wants women to be in subjection. There is a point to this. And to go back to, uh, I just listened to your uh, podcast with Jared Wilson the other day. Okay. And he was talking about patterns and the pattern with Moses and the rock. Mm-hmm. And um, why was God so upset with Moses for hitting a rock? Well, and the, the answer that you two came up with was at least partly because there was a, a picture that was designed mm-hmm. and then Moses broke that picture. Mm-hmm. And Paul here is saying that the reason that wives submit to their husbands is because the wife is modeling the behavior of the church mm. being in subjection to Christ. And when others see that, they'll see uh, how the church behaves towards Christ. Okay, so here's some of my objections. Um, first, it seems like we might drive people away from Christ by showing these archaic views. You know, what we should be showing them is a loving, hospitable, open type of uh, family. And it seems like if we're just preaching submission, then we're just going to run people off. Well, there's, there's a couple of things I'd say to that. First of all, we're going to get to that here in a second. Okay. Um, it's not just about what wives do. Husbands have a role as well. Um, second, I'll go to an, back to another of your podcasts with Brooks Criswell. <laughs> and uh, when he was talking about how do we deal with some things in the Old Testament that God did that we don't understand? How, how do we justify God's actions? when we don't understand something. Perhaps perhaps you're reading this and you're saying, well, this is old-fashioned. This is I don't like this. I don't want to submit to my husband or I don't want my wife to submit to me. We're equals. We're both people. And that's true. But God has a pattern here mm-hmm. and we need to trust his character. Mm-hmm. And yes, we do need to show hospitality. We do need to show a loving family, both in the nuclear family and in the church family. And absolutely, that will um, show uh, the love of Christ to others. But God has also given us uh, a pattern for how the family works, how to submit to one another. Mm-hmm. There's no question that we have to submit to one another. And Paul is saying that one of the ways to submit to one another is to wives, for wives to submit to their husbands. Right, right. And not just when they feel like it, but in the same way that the church submits to Christ. Mm. And that's, that's a powerful, that's powerful both ways. It's powerful to think about how much the wife submits 
to Christ. And yeah, that is, hang on, I said that backwards, how much the wife submits to her husband. Right. And that, that can't be difficult. That is difficult. But it's also uh, powerful how the church submits to Christ mm-hmm. because Christ died for the church. Christ saves the church. Christ built the church. He owns it. He died for it. And he loves the church and will bring the church to heaven. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But what about when he doesn't deserve it? And the guy's a deadbeat and doesn't do what he's supposed to. And it just doesn't seem like submitting to him is going to be fruitful in any way because he doesn't try to be like Christ. Let's go to First um, Peter. We'll go uh, off, uh, <laughs> off the notes here. I was thinking about this uh, today while I was at work. So First Peter um, chapter 2 and chapter 3 is like a parallel passage to here in Ephesians 5 and 6 where the Apostle Peter is talking about similar things, about submitting to one another. Um, in chapter 2, he talks about submission to government, submission to masters. And uh, in First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about wives submitting to their husbands. It says, First um, Peter 3, verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if they do not obey the word, See, that's what we're talking about, right? What if they don't deserve it? What if they're not fulfilling their responsibilities? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that even if they do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe their chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So that's The point is, even when your husbands don't deserve it, which, let's face it, we're all humans. We all make mistakes. We all sin. None of us deserve anything. But even when... Your husbands don't deserve submission. The Bible says that it's not just a picture of Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. It's also for your husband's benefit. And when they see uh, the loving um, service of the church to Christ, that may convert them. Well said. Um, the host of the podcast kicks himself for knowing that you have First Peter three later in the notes, and I brought the question up now, so maybe I spoiled uh, some of the structure of your study. Um, do you have any thoughts about uh, domestic violence or any situation where safety is at stake? Um, you know, I think you and I are, are speaking theoretically in a home where people are at least respecting the physical boundaries of health and safety, but there may be a listener out there that's wondering what's going to happen when I go home today. Is the man uh, that I'm going to meet, is he going to be in his right mind or is he going to be out of his mind? Again, I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have a thought about um, safety in, 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 in situations of violence? I don't think that God calls us to be unsafe. Sometimes we will be in situations where we're unsafe. The apostles were often in situations where they're in a lot of danger. So it's not like it never happens in the church. Right. But, you know, in um, Romans chapter 13, talks about subjection to government. Verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Mm. For uh, he is God's minister to you for good. 
But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Mm -hmm. God has given us a government, not anarchy. God has given us a police force. And if anyone is afraid for their safety from their husband or wife, you need to call the police. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you, God has put the government there to protect right. the righteous. Right. And so I think if anyone's in a dangerous situation, um, they need to rely on the governing authorities to keep them safe. Amen. I'm glad you said that because I think this study is operating on kind of like the bell curve. We're talking about a, a the large percentage of relationships within the that bell mm -hmm. that whether they be there, there is a lot of uh, obedience to these commands or a little obedience to the commands. At least it's a safe environment. But there is those outliers where maybe safety is involved. So thank you for that. I'd also say that if there's domestic violence in the church, God forbid, that the church needs to get involved as well. The yes. police need to get involved, yes. and then the church needs to get involved yes. and discipline the member who is sinning. Yes. Church discipline exists for a reason, and um, we need to forgive people who repent, but if someone is unrepentant, they need to be withdrawn from and removed mm -hmm. from the church so that they can repent and get our people who are in dangerous situations mm -hmm. to safety. So allow me to put you on the spot one more time, and then, you know, if you're too uncomfortable, I'll quit. But you've had very good answers. And I'm obviously we're kind of going down a, a little bit more of a touchy area. But based on what you just said in Romans 13, uh, somebody might say, well, 1 Corinthians 6 says that brethren aren't supposed to take brethren to court. And so we're supposed to kind of just solve our own spats and not get the government involved because then it's going to besmirch the name of the church. Um would you like to comment on that, or would you like me to flesh it out a little bit more? Sure. No, let's let's go there. First of all, you know what what really bespurches, bespurches, does harm to the name of the church? The <laughs> smirch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is First uh, Corinthians chapter five, where you have immorality in the church. Uh huh. That's what really um, does harm to the name of Christ and the name of the church. Um. So. You can't just resolve situations in-house and not deal with domestic violence or mm -hmm. sexual violence or sexual immorality mm -hmm. or drunkenness. Mm -hmm. These things need to be removed from the church. But so First uh, Corinthians chapter six. Um, let's see. What well, do you want to read that? Sure. Comment? What verses do you want me to start at? Well, you're the one that brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's see. Uh, I'm going to read out of the English standard, so they may the verbiage may be a little different. Sure. But verse 1, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Uh, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent, incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? Uh, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against his brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? 
but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brethren. And I, there's maybe, you know, we could read more, but um, I'll offer this false take on it. Mm-hmm. And then you can maybe correct me somewhat. I have heard people say, based on this scripture, that uh, if somebody is assaulted or uh, robbed or, or any sort of crime by another Christian, then we shouldn't get the law involved, but rather just try to solve it amongst ourselves. I've also heard, um, let's see. I want to make sure I get my thoughts right on this one. Uh, well, no, shoot, we're gonna we're gonna mess up our perfect recording because I'm it's gonna be my fault. But it wasn't me, so that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll just start with that. Uh, that that there's grievances one to another of that it's it's more than just petty. That it is in fact you're breaking the law, but. Uh, some people are concerned that if we take that to court, then it's going to somehow uh, besmirch the church. So I've got three comments, I guess. First of all, we already read Romans chapter 13 that God has put governing authorities in place. Yeah, they, they and that he in is, conjunction, right? He has given the government the sword as well. The government is there to met out punishment to those who are unrighteous, and everyone should be afraid of the sword of the government when they do act unrighteously. Second, as we already kind of mentioned, that um, the biggest scandals in religious groups are when they break the law or they're immoral and then cover it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People are can forgive immorality when it's repented, even out in the world, they can forgive things, but what is unforgivable is when you do wrong and then try and cover it up. Mm-hmm. And First mm-hmm. Corinthians chapter five is talking about the reputation of the church uh, among the Gentiles, uh, mm-hmm. among unbelievers, among other things. And we're going to damage the name of Jesus uh, that we've been entrusted with as Christians. We're named after Jesus. We're going to damage his reputation in the world if we let um, sin and immorality f- flourish in our midst and just try and cover it up. And thirdly, uh, it says here um, in verse 7, why would you not rather accept wrong? Why would you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat that you do these things to your brethren. This isn't talking about assault and battery or robbery this is talking about petty differences. This right. is talking about right. taking your brother to court. Okay, I guess I've got four things. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> so when the police, when you call the police on your brother, you don't take that brother to court anyway. Oh, that's a good point. The government takes that person to court right you hand it over to the governing authorities as per romans 13 and then they handle the issue and you're not in violation of first corinthians 16 now if if i got upset with you jonathan and decided i'm going to sue you then i would be in violation of first corinthians chapter 6 we need to try and work it out amongst ourselves 
And if that doesn't work, then we get the church involved and let brethren decide what needs to be right. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, before that, I need to say, you know what? I love my brother Jonathan, and uh, if he, I feel like I should have got some of his bees, but he took them. <laughs> out, he took them out of his out of my yard. Uh, I'm just going to let him have them. There's so much context that people are missing in that example, but uh, I'm going to let them try to infer it. Um, I remember what I was going to say as I flubbed uh, our perfect recording, um, and it may maybe I'll just keep the flub in there. People can see that I'm not perfect, but. Uh, we read a book together in a study group about a year ago called Boundaries, learning how to be more, um, I guess, mature and at peace and effective in the way that you protect yourself and your relationships. And, um, you know, Marissa's going to listen to this and she's probably going to, when she's listening to it, pause it and run out and find me wherever I am and be like, <laughs> ha, told you. But the, that verse, why not be wronged, why not be defrauded, verse 7, I don't know how many times I used that uh, incorrectly because I was coming from a place of fear and cowardice of I would rather just not deal with it. Right. And that's not what this is talking about at all. This is talking about, as you just brought up, petty cases between people who instead of working it out would take it to the, the court and bring the... And the funny thing is, and I hadn't even made this connection, shame on me, between five and six, but imagine two brethren taking it to court who are arguing over their spices or mm -hmm. whatever, but they're both known as serial offenders of some pretty awful moral crimes from yes. chapter five. Yes. And so you have these people who are so worried about their tenths of spices, but they're just, their character is awful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what a... I know you weren't prepared to maybe comment too much on this, but thank you for spending the time because I feel like we have the bell curve of relationships, but those outliers usually uh, are pretty loud and yeah. people can't seem to get past them. But hopefully we've at least assuaged some people's concerns to say, okay, yes, there are certain times when, when certain uh, actions need to be taken to keep someone safe. Now let's consider the what we're going to call, generally speaking, in a relationship with a husband and wife. Sure. So that's my pivot back into your segue, your your notes. And so, just to summarize so far, um, we've only talked about the first of the six people <laughs> in the relationships, but it is probably, I think, either the touchiest one or one of the touchier ones. I think we can top it by the end of the study, but it's about it's pretty high up there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then let's talk about how great husbands have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly that um, wives have to submit to the husbands. And then doesn't it say wife, husbands do whatever you want? Correct. Yeah. So that's what my, uh, the Jonathan Edwards translation, I think, <laughs> has it put that way. Yeah. This is one of your um, one page books. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, shall I read that whole section? Is part of it, what do you want me to do for? preparing your thoughts read um read through 25 through 27 and we'll, we'll pause every couple of verses okay <clears throat> ephesians 5 25 husbands love your wives just as christ also loved the church and gave himself to her or rather for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having wrinkle spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she 
should be holy and without blemish. This is one of the reasons I love this passage, because we're coming to this passage to talk about relationships and how to submit to one another. But Paul can't help himself but preach the gospel here. And mm-hmm. look, look how much we have about Jesus. I love the first time I preached this was Sunday morning. And I loved it because we've got this sermon on relationships, but we're that we were there to remember Jesus in communion. Right. And we heard all about Jesus, what he's done for us. He loved the church, gave himself for her, he might sanctify and cleanse her. Then we've got baptism, washing of um, water by the word, mm-hmm. that he might present her, her to himself a glorious church, having, not having spot or wrinkle, that she should be holy and without blemish. Mm-hmm. So here, here, you know, we know our brethren, we know their strengths and their weaknesses, um, but here we get a picture of what the church looks like to Jesus. The church is a beautiful bride mm-hmm. that is there in white on the wedding day. Mm-hmm. Absolute perfection. He died for her and sanctifies her and keeps her holy. And I think it's, to me, it's both a great encouragement to um, be excited to be a part of the church. This is how much Christ loves me mm-hmm. because I'm in the church. He died for me. He died for you. How do we as men... How are we supposed to feel about this where we're taking on the bride role for ourselves? I mean, you just said I feel really good about it, but and I do too. But maybe we've got some guys who when they hear that they're kinda like, Well, I don't want to be that. I wanna be <laughs> manly and I don't want to be con- equivalent to a bride. Any any thoughts on how to get them to maybe consider a different perspective? Well, I think um we model the the church and Christ in our marriages as we're talking about but we're also the the marriage is not the thing that came first Jesus came first and so the marriage as great as it is is just a pale reflection to the love of Christ mm-hmm. and uh you know the the bible uses different metaphors for the church a bride is one of them we also have the heavenly city in Revelation, that perfect city that's perfectly proportioned coming down out of heaven. So there's many ways to, to look at it. But what Jesus sees is perfection. Yeah. And yeah. Um, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, while, while we, we have the, the perspective of how much Jesus loves us and what he has done for us, we also have a responsibility to keep the church pure and holy and sanctified so that when Jesus returns for his bride, then we can present her as a pure, chaste virgin ready to enter into heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. And I think what I might add to it is simply a lot of the relational metaphors of Jesus and his church are, are typically not flattering to the ego. No. And so... Which is appropriate, right? It should be flattering to Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the shepherd and the flock. Mm. You're calling me a sheep? <laughs> Good yeah, point. Yeah. I am. Yeah. A, a king and slaves yeah. or servants, you yeah. know? All of these relationships mm. are yeah. very one-sided when it comes to authority, power, etc. I love that verse in, is it Luke 18? I know it's in Luke, where um, Jesus 
instructs us to when we've done what he has told oh, us. Oh, yeah, 1710. Yeah, uh, just we're, we're to be humble servants and say that uh, we have done, all, all that we have done is what was our duty to do. Right, right. unprofitable. Unprofitable. Is, uh, think in the yeah. New King James. But That's yeah. right. Beautiful imagery there. So yes, for those that maybe they, uh, oh, whenever they hear this analogy, the metaphor of the bride and the, the bridegroom, this is probably the most loving metaphor there is, but none of them really are about you. They're about how wonderful Jesus is and that we can be a part of something special. And I think that's something to keep in mind as we go through because the wife submitting to the husband, the husband um, loving the wife, it's not really about you. It's not really about your relationship. It's not really about whether he deserves it, your husband deserves it, or your wife deserves it. It's about glorifying Jesus in your relationship. Mm -hmm. Shall I read the rest of it? Let's go. Okay. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I love this. It's almost like Paul gets wrapped up in describing Jesus and the church, and he's like, yeah, well, we're, we're talking about husbands and wives here. That's right. <laughs> because it, it's such a beautiful image, and it's such a, a great teaching that you can't really say one's more important than the other. Right. But the point I want to really get, get here is that when husbands take their God-given role, they model the loving care that Jesus shows the church. Mm. So husbands can't be the king sitting in his ivory tower, ordering his slave wife to do whatever he wants, because that's not what Jesus does. Jesus loved the church so much that he left the glories of heaven, mm -hmm. came to this earth, lived a hard life, mm -hmm. only to die the cruelest death imaginable and um, be buried in a tomb that wasn't his own and uh, resurrect after three days. So Jesus' loving, self-sacrificial love is modeled or should be modeled by the husband. You know, somebody that's listening to this who maybe is coming from a different worldview, a different perspective on relationships, uh, maybe they've experienced a few different things in this this first part that we're talking about. Maybe they've gone from a place of anger, you know, <laughs> traditional roles. Like, what does that mean? And, and why are you talking about that in, in this age? But hopefully what they've been hearing is that commingled with this idea that there is distinction is the responsibility, the gravity that comes with each role. Yes. And that there's, there is honor and there is uh, just a deep abiding respect for the roles. And it's not about the power of having more, or rather, the having more power than somebody no. else, which no. is, I think, in that worldview, what they're concerned about is that, that traditionally men have a lot more power than women, so we need to destabilize that power structure. But in the Christian view, it's not about power. No, no, it's about service. Mm. We're all under the authority of Jesus, mm. and that. Um, no, notice that 
men have a lot more instructions than women. Women only get, was it two or three verses? Men have this whole section, how important it is that men fulfill their responsibilities. And they have responsibilities to their wife. Yeah. The husband is to take care of his wife um, and uh, the, 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 the husband is to model Jesus' self-sacrificial love for the church. So they can't sit back and order their wife around. They have just as much responsibility as the wife, if not even more. Yeah. And I would say here, I'm, I'm going to flip back to a, a Christian view and not just be your, your questioner. Um, I would say that when we don't, uh, from the Christian perspective, when we don't fulfill these roles, we're actually corrupting the image of what Christ has for couples. And that's an essential point th that we're trying to tell the world. They may not see it that way, but we would just challenge people who are in a different worldview. When Christians talk about wives submitting their husbands and husbands loving wives, that to us, this is a deep faith issue. Yes. That, that we will miss the mark if we don't follow these roles. Yeah, and, and I think that's why I brought up Casey's study from me it was last week i don't know when it will be will be uh, published in comparison to this but um god takes his pictures his symbols pretty seriously mm. and so when we are thinking about our marriages we need to think about the picture that we're displaying and are we displaying god's picture or our own picture mm -hmm. because god takes it very seriously he wants the husband to be a self-sacrificial loving husband as Christ is to the church and he wants the wife to be submissive in everything as the uh, church is to Christ and if we do follow that pattern then not only are we reflecting the picture of Christ and the church but both are protected because the wife uh, has her role of submission but she is protected not just from the husband but by the husband as well. If he is showing the same love that Jesus showed, then he is putting his, uh, putting her interest before his own. He is more interested in having her needs and wants met than his own. Yeah. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't want to leave heaven. Jesus didn't want to die. He prayed earnestly to the Father three times, the sweat drops of blood. He didn't want to do it, but he did it because he had that self-sacrificial love. Mm hmm. You know, doing pre-marriage counseling, um, there's a lot of conversations that need to happen between young men and women about expectations of these very scriptures. What what does submission look like? What does love look like? And I think there is objective truths here about submitting and loving. There's also some subjective ways that this is how I feel loved or this is how I feel respected. Mm hmm. And it's really important for these young couples to have those conversations before they go into marriage instead of like never talking about it. And then when things didn't go their way and it was never communicated, well, you just didn't love me. Well, you just didn't respect me. And so here I'm throwing a plug out for all our younger folks that these are the types of conversations you have about um, who takes out the trash, yeah. who uh, does the laundry, who fills the car up with gas who mows the yard 
I mean, I think I've already said this on my podcast, but uh, I know I say it in pre-marriage counseling. For me, to mow the yard is man's work. Now, I'm sorry to listeners out there that, that disagree and maybe think I'm a pig, but I've just that's the way I grew up, and, and I've mowed a yard since I was a kid. And I remember one day <laughs> uh, I was driving around somewhere. I'm just going to try to keep it general. I was driving around somewhere, and I saw a Christian family, and I saw the wife mowing the yard, and it was outrageous. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I went home, and I was like, Marissa, can you believe it? And she didn't have the same reaction as me. Now, she was grateful that I mowed the yard. But like That was one of those like unsaid things that I had just done for however many years of marriage. And then here we were having this conversation where she was like, well, I mean— if he's working outside the home, shouldn't she take care of the home? And wouldn't that be the grass too? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it that way before. Yeah. So uh, that could open up a whole can of worms, but I'd at least like to give you the chance to say something if you'd like to about there's the objectivity of these commands, which is the one we've been focusing on, but there's also the subjectivity, the nuance, especially for young people who've never experienced it before, that you really do need to communicate some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, often we, I don't know what your experience was like. I went into marriage very starry-eyed. I think we all do. We, we're in love, right? And you right. get married and you you have that honeymoon period where your spouse can do no wrong and then reality sets in. And if you haven't had these discussions, then you're going to have them one way or another. Mm -hmm. These, well, well, I thought that you should wash the dishes and Clearly, you should. And, <laughs> and what, and you can have fights over little things if expectations aren't established early. But I think you know we're we're a mystery to ourselves. Like you, you don't always know why you're angry, and mm. sometimes you have to talk it through. Like the the first five things that you say you're angry about don't actually matter when you when it comes down to it. And so, how is your your spouse supposed to? understand you if you don't understand yourself so i think that communication is really important and you may love and feel loved in a way different than your spouse and you could be trying so hard to show this love or show this submission and it's just not quite clicking because your spouse isn't hearing what you're saying and it seems obvious to you uh maybe uh, you like to do chores for your spouse, and that's the way you, you mow the lawn for Marissa, and um, that's how you show her that you love her. Or maybe she doesn't feel loved except when you're spending time with her. Mm -hmm. And so Are you quoting five love languages at me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you're right. I think there is the objective truth of Ephesians 5 and 6 that wives are to submit to their husbands, and husbands uh, to love their wives. We're complicated creatures, so it's we need to communicate with each other to figure out how best to do that, what that actually looks like. I'm reading a book right now, one of several books that I'm reading slowly, <laughs> but it's made a really good point, and that is you can, one cannot be spiritually mature if they are emotionally immature. And I thought, Ooh, that's good because yeah. I think sometimes we devalue the emotional experience because it's subjective mm -hmm. as well. I'm only focused on what is objectively true. 
But if if one subjectively is a, a man child, and they're not mature, how can you love your wife like Jesus loves the church? If you're yes. so, you know, the the scriptures as it said, and I know we need to move on. We're we're spending so much time on these two points, but the scripture says no one ever hated his own flesh, and so it's using it. I think. Uh, rhetorically almost to say that that we've moved beyond that that selfishness to a more selfless lifestyle and if you have to go back and think about it from a base perspective then it's nobody really you know hates themselves and they love themselves well love your wife too because she's mm -hmm. part of your body yeah yeah just as we're the church is christ's body now do we want to talk about kids and parents or do we have more to say about husbands wives well, I, I I just want to reiterate that the husband and wife are to fulfill their roles even if the other isn't. Right, 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 right. So if, wives, if your husband is um, not loving you, you still need to submit to him. As we looked at First Peter chapter 3, husbands, if your wife isn't submitting to you, you still need to love her with that same sacrificial love. You know, sometimes the church doesn't love that doesn't submit to Christ the way it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. like we read about that in the letters in Revelation. All the epistles of the New Testament come to think of it. But the Christ still loves the church. And husbands, you need to love your wives. Mm. And I guess I also want to make the point that it's not just about the husband providing for his wife and the wife submitting. It's the, the wife submitting isn't all the work that's being done. Husbands need to enable their wives to submit to them. They need to step up and be leaders and be prepared to make decisions, be prepared to make hard sacrifices and not just wait for their wives to look yeah. to them. They need to be there and lead. Now, not everyone is by temperament a leader, but as I tell my kids, the only way that you can learn how to do something is practice, practice, practice. Yeah, so. absolutely true. I would suggest even there's a lot of men who are just not naturally inclined to lead, and there are a lot of women who are. Yes. And, you know, this is the marriage role in a Christian home. We live in a culture, society, that doesn't share these values, and so a lot of times you go to work, and rightly so. I mean, uh, the, the woman may be the CEO of a company, whereas the man might be, you know, and working in the mail room. Yes. Uh, that yeah. would be M-A-I-L, <laughs> not M-A-L-E. <laughs> but Women are not allowed in the mail room. <laughs> <laughs> we digress. Now, but my point is, yeah, there's, there's so many opportunities where, and I remember having a conversation with a young woman one time where she said, Jonathan, uh, ever since I went to college and in my professional experience, like I have been trained to lead. Like that's what I do. But then when I go home, I have to submit to my husband. This is a young woman who is a Christian, and she said, and the challenge of that is learning how to balance yeah. where corporately I am a leader, but then in a home I'm submitting to my husband's authority. What a beautiful uh, balance she was working on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that, that's really part of the reason I put this study together. I was thinking about it because the world right now, you know, we're, we're very interested in victims. And fair enough, th there are a lot of people who are dispossessed and they um, have some challenges. And, and we feel sympathy and empathy for them and we want to lift them up. 
Um, and I think in the world, the, the world has seen some injustices between the sexes and has, is trying to lift up women and push down men in of, oftentimes. And we see that in our school systems uh, where girls are doing better and better and better, which is great, but our boys are doing worse and worse. And I wanted to step back from the culture and look at what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And um, just because we have talents doesn't mean that they're appropriate in all situations. And we've got to look, right. see what roles God wants us yeah. to perform. What, what does Jesus want his, his disciples to do? Yeah, we know this from the worship service. I, I don't, I've had several conversations with folks who wanted to bring something into the worship service because they were talented at it, specifically playing musical instruments. Yeah. And all I had to do was explain to them, what if a person was a really good master chef? Should we bring a grill into the worship service so they can prepare a delicious meal for us? And that you could take any skill. And, you know, should we put a basketball hoop up so that mm-hmm. somebody can shoot their shot for shoot the Lord? For Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Some people might say yes. But those of us who are interested in worshiping God in spirit and truth, uh, we would recognize, OK, well, that is. That line of reasoning isn't isn't healthy. There yeah. are times when my my talents are useful and there's times when I need to submit because because it's not about us. Correct. It's about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we're unprofitable servants doing just <laughs> what is our duty to do. Amen. Amen. OK, great. That was a I feel encouraged just by talking about it um, as a husband. I feel encouraged. I felt encouraged whenever I heard you pre- preach it at Sulphur. So, you know, this is double dose for me. Um, talking about the next relationship is children and uh, we're going to say children and parents, but I think specifically you're going to talk some about fathers Yes. in this because that's the way the scripture. Oh, we're going to cut it off right there. It is a cliffhanger and you need to come back next week. Now, because this was such a long conversation and my podcast, typically I try to keep them between 30 and 40 minutes. You'll notice this one was a bit longer. Uh, this is pushing an hour. Um, I'm going to make four episodes out of it because it's uh, each each role relationship that we're going to talk about deserves its moment in the sun. And so I'm going to give it that moment by giving each one of them an episode. And then uh, we're going to ask some questions and bring up First Timothy chapter 2 in the fourth episode that I think is very important to help us understand these well. So thank you, Jamie, for having this conversation with me. Thank you to Elizabeth and the kids who came over and didn't realize how long they were going to be staying at our house while Jamie and I snuck out to the office to record the podcast. But grateful all around for having such dear friends and family close by and for uh, a really stimulating conversation. So until next week, go check out the resources on pureandsimplebible.com. And always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.